Music, though, above everything else, was my favorite thing. The sound of music could get me through anything. I feel like it still can. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the holiday special of This Is Your Mixtape. I'm your host, Michael Collins. Ordinarily, I would have a guest here with me, and we would go through their life in music, looking at five songs in turn. But today, it's a little bit different. It's a shorter episode, and it's just me. I'll be sharing with you a reflection about a particular Christmas that I had when I was 12 years old, and what is probably the most important gift I ever received. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy the end of the year, however you choose to mark it. And we will be back in 2019 with some more chats with some more fascinating people. I will internet see you then, I hope. I grew up in a house in the middle of the woods. Our house was at the end of a gravel lane, maybe 300 or 400 feet long. This was Newfoundland, and it snows a lot there. We usually had to clear the lane ourselves. Shoveling snow was a family affair. Often, all four of us would be out at it. I was 12. It was a week before Christmas. There was a big snowfall, and we were all out clearing the lane to our house. It didn't feel like work. It felt like a fun family activity. The lane was braced up by a retaining wall, and the dense boreal forest sloped away steeply to one side, so there was an easy place to dump the snow as you shoveled and once the snow was piled up deep enough, you could jump into it. Or your burly, jovial, loving father could pick you up and playfully hurl you into it as you shrieked with childish laughter. When the lane was cleared, my mother, my brother, and I piled into the car and drove the 90 minutes into St. John's, which is the only true city on the whole island, to do some last-minute Christmas shopping and to see family who lived there. We'd stay the weekend at my aunt and uncle's house, and then return to my little hometown in time for the last few days of school, and then Christmas. My brother and I probably played video games with my cousins in the basement while my mother visited with her sister upstairs. I started to feel a pain in my stomach, though. I developed a fever. I would vomit, feel better, and then hours later I'd feel worse again. Everyone thought it was a stomach bug. It got more severe as days went by. I remember sitting in the big armchair, wrapped in a blanket, miserable, Deep Space Nine on the TV, my cousin Robert bringing me some ginger ale. Finally, it was unbearable. In the middle of the night, on the pull-out bed in my aunt's basement, I begged my mother to make the pain stop somehow, just to make it stop. Even now, I think it was the worst pain I've ever experienced. I had a child's faith in his mother, though, that anything was in her power, really, if it came down to it. This is when I learned that belief was false. No matter how much you love someone, some things can't be changed. But my mother does love me very much, and she would do what she could. She took me to the emergency room at 2 in the morning, driving through heavy snow. A couple of hours later, I was under anesthetic, having exploratory surgery. I woke up disoriented, tubes draining my abdominal cavity, of what seemed like liters of poison. My appendix had bursts and had been leaking for some time. I almost died. Christmas was in five days. My favorite Christmas carol when I was young was Carol of the Bells. I liked the minor key. I liked the relentless build, how it starts soft and subtle, but becomes more and more overwhelming until it's a merciless assault. 
The carol feels like an expression of raw, unthinking, unreasonable power, as any encounter between the human and the divine, the infinite, ought to. It's almost painful. I don't know if I liked Carol of the Bells before my Christmas in the hospital. I think it would be too easy, and wrong, to make a simple correlation between what's perhaps the most metal Christmas carol and my own traumatic Christmas time brush with mortality. I was a goofy, happy kid before and after. I loved Christmas before and after. My favorite Christmas album was, and remains, Boney M's tacky, bouncy, disco-inflected entry into the genre. But my relationship with the holiday definitely matured and became more complex because of what happened to me. It became more adult. Before then, I had never really suffered. I wasn't spoiled, but I hadn't known want, either. Christmas before this was a simple time of excitement and uncomplicated happiness. It was inevitable that I'd see, eventually, that Christmas can be a very dark time for many people, but I didn't gradually grow into that knowledge. An infectious bomb exploded in my own body, and it came all at once. It wasn't a neat little appendicitis scar. It wasn't a simple keyhole operation like they do today. When I showed up at the emergency room, my appendix had already filled my abdominal cavity with poison. What I had was exploratory surgery, because they didn't know what was wrong with me. When they opened me up, they found a real mess, I'm told. It took a bigger, uglier incision, and the scar is still longer than my index finger. They said it would take at least a week to recover, but I really wanted to be home in time for Christmas. I wasn't given false hope. It probably wouldn't happen, they told me. My memories of the first few days are fragmentary, fuzzy, somewhat surreal. I remember the tube down my throat, into my stomach, draining some ugly fluid from inside me. I guess it was pumping my stomach? It's really not clear to me, looking back, what was going on. It seems like that would have prevented me from speaking, something I'm sure I would have found very annoying. I was definitely a chatterbox at this point. But I don't remember feeling annoyed. I remember it being removed, how easily it slid out. It was simple and swift. It was supposed to hurt, but it didn't. It gave me a funny feeling, though. Maybe the morphine made it not hurt, and maybe the morphine made me feel weird. They had me on a fair bit of morphine, I should say, the first day. I remember family and friends visiting, including my favorite cousin and her two best girlfriends. They crowded around the bed. A reminder, I was a 12-year-old boy, and usually I felt about as confident in my body as you'd expect a 12-year-old boy to feel. But I was too warm, and I was out of it on morphine, so I just threw the blanket off me. I was naked underneath, and I simply could not care less that I was exposing myself to my family, my cousin, and her friends, girls two or three years older than me. Morphine is a hell of a drug, apparently. More powerful than a preteen boy's shame. My mother spent as much time as she could with me, but of course there was a lot of time alone in that hospital. I was a 12-year-old boy who shared a bedroom with his little brother for as long as he could remember. I don't think I ever really had sustained time alone before the hospital. I didn't hate it. I didn't cry or get homesick. I was frustrated and melancholy that I would probably miss Christmas, but, at least as far as I remember it, I was fairly accepting of the situation. As an adult, I like solitude. I enjoy my own company. 
I don't know if hours in the hospital lying on a bed with my own thoughts taught me that skill, or it was just my first chance to discover an innate ability that was always there. But I didn't mind the time alone. The children's hospital was, of course, doing its best to mark the festive season. Once I was able, I would wheel my IV stand out to the little lounge waiting area down the hall which was decorated with, you know, a little tinsel, cardboard cutouts of Santa. And there was a TV. TV was a controlled substance in my house, only for after supper and only with permission. But now I could just watch it whenever. I saw the sound of music for the first time in that little lounge. I don't know why the sound of music is a Christmas thing. It doesn't take place at Christmas, and its themes aren't particularly Christmassy. Yet my favorite things is in any comprehensive book of Christmas carols you care to browse. If I had been miserable, weepy, having trouble dealing with what had happened to me, maybe something like Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas would be the right carol to reflect my time in the hospital. But my life really wasn't that bad. My sadness and pain felt transitory, not existential. So the best carol for my time in the hospital probably is my favorite things. And not just because I discovered the sound of music while I was in there. I also discovered I had a sort of natural resilience, an ability to focus on the positive, to seek out simple pleasure, to look for the pleasing and beautiful things that will always exist. I discovered I had emotional antibodies as well as literal ones. When the dog bites, when the appendix bursts, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things and then I don't feel so bad. What were my favorite things, 12 years old, sitting in the waiting room with my IV watching TV? What was my version of raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens? At that very moment, it might have been Chrono Trigger, big fantasy novels, the beach near our house on a calm summer evening, how the world looks when it's transformed by new snow, and food, of course. Julie Andrews liked schnitzel with noodles, I liked craft dinner and pizza. Music, though, above everything else, was my favorite thing. The sound of music could get me through anything. I feel like it still can. Although I was healing well, I hadn't recovered enough to go home by Christmas, as I had been warned. On Christmas Eve, my mother stayed with me overnight. She stretched out in a chair by my bed. That's the kind of loving gesture a privileged child accepts as his due under the natural order of things, but it fills my adult heart with a guilty sort of gratitude when I look back and consider how awkward and uncomfortable it must have been for her. Really, the amount of care most of us have received over the course of our life is just staggering if you ever sit down and think about it. At least... I think that's the case for me. I had a kind of negative capability when it came to Santa. I was a smart kid, but I was also a romantic, sensitive kid. I was smart enough to figure out that Santa wasn't real several years before this, yet I enjoyed believing in Santa, so I simply did both for some time. I believed while also knowing it wasn't a true belief, because the belief didn't harm anyone and it made my life better. When it was clear I wouldn't be home on the 25th, our family moved Christmas to the 27th. My brother, who was 10 at the time, was excellent about it. No complaint. Totally on board. Christmas will wait until Michael can be home. That we as a family could simply choose to change the day that the presents appeared was a fairly strong mark in the Santa is not real column, and I could feel the bargain had struck between my rationality and my faith waver. As for the 25th, I figured it would just be another day. I'd be getting my presents on the 27th, after all. My mother hung out with me that evening, we may have watched The Sound of Music, and at some point I fell asleep. Years later, my mother told me she knew that the nurses gave every child in the hospital a stocking and a few gifts. She wanted to stay up for it, to help, to thank them, but she fell asleep herself in that awkward, uncomfortable chair. 
So we both woke up to a surprise. The table had a small pile of presents on it for me, addressed to me by name. The gifts were somewhat generic. They had to be, of course. But the fact of them astounded me, and it filled me with wonder and surprise. The fact that the gift giver also slipped by my mother unnoticed only added to it. It felt like magic. And there was some good stuff in there. I remember clearly that Black Beauty and Call of the Wild were among those presents. I was a voracious reader, but I'd read neither of them before, and I devoured them both before I was discharged two days later. I haven't revisited either of them, so in my memory both of them carry the smell of a hospital, the feel of the bedsheets, the taste of jello, the strange sense of wearing a hospital gown, the feeling of an IV in your hand. But most of all, they still have an odd, surprised, somewhat wondrous feeling lingering about them in my memory. Who selected them? Who wrapped them up? Who put them by my bedside for me to discover when I woke up? A mystery. I sometimes think that Christmas in the hospital might be the one time that Santa really and truly did bring me gifts. It's a pleasing thought, and I don't disturb it too much with rationality. And it's true that ever since, I've known that nurses are Santa's best helpers, and that Christmas is what you make it, wherever you happen to be, whatever is happening to you. My Christmas in the hospital, age 12, is a handy border in my mind between childhood and adolescence, but it didn't ruin Christmas, not at all. It deepened my sense of the holiday. It taught me so much more about it. I learned that small gestures of care will accumulate, and as those small gestures of care for one another, the simple acts of thoughtfulness and kindness, that make the season what it is. Thank you for spending a little time with me this holiday, wherever you are and however you're spending the day. This is your mixtape as a proud member of the Megaphonic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Michael Collins, and you can find me on Twitter at EarlKing, E-R-L-K-I-N-G. I love to hear from listeners. The show notes for this episode are at megaphonic.fm slash mixtape slash 26, which is astonishing. The music today was plonked out on an out-of-tune upright by yours truly, and it was recorded and mixed by Chris Puma, who sometimes lends a hand with the production of this show. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank Chris and to thank all of my guests in 2018. You've been so generous. Be excellent to each other, everyone, and onward to the next year. <laughs>